Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. is the Brockleary Podcast with me, my good friend and producer, R.A. David. Uh, I feel like we should say, and this is Nightline, or something dun, dramatic. Dun, dun, dun. We need some sort of <laughs> well, dramatic we have, music. We have that rocking music. I it's mean, awesome. It's yeah, awesome. What else do you and need? For, for those of you who want to know what that great music is that you just heard, it is Wilco, um, a live version of something called Spiders. That's the name of the song. Uh, paren, Kid Smoke, Close Paren. It's just a really elegant song, and uh, the whole... Anyway, you can pick it up on, on uh, I don't know if you can pick it up on iTunes. The Wilco uh, live set, if you just check that out, uh, you can find that and so many other great songs. It's truly and, one of my favorite bands. And the best way to do it is when the podcast starts and the music comes on, just take your mobile phone and turn on your Shazam. That's right. You can It'll do that. It'll tell you the yeah. exact version of that song. Yeah, you can do that. It's, it's a really quite good. Uh, yeah, Wilco has been really a blessing. What I like about Wilco, and actually kind of an interesting point, is that music is a reflection of us in many ways, right? Uh, to some extent, music is also an association game, right? You may like a certain song, even though uh, in the abstract you wouldn't like that song. But the reason why you do like that song is because it reminds you of your high school days or whatever it is, okay? So I don't know if I would like the song Desperado, for example, by the Eagles that much uh, if I just to hear it alone right now. I can hear that it's got a nice melody, but it, but it, the reason why I like it a little extra is because of the association that I have from high school. Yes, I was, I'm that old. Thank you very much. But the, you, you, get, you get my drift. You look good for your age. Well, thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> too kind. I'm 52 years old. Thank you. Uh, and, but, but it also is a reflection in terms of what, uh, what moves us, right? And for me, uh, complicated music really is very engaging to me. And uh, as opposed to music that just has one simple beat all the way through, whether that's rap music, which tends to have only one beat. Um, I I like music that changes a lot. It's got interesting bridges and moves forward in different ways. You you, you go from point A to point B, but you have no idea exactly where it is. But somehow it it makes sense in and of itself. Anyway, that's Wilco for you, W-I-L-C-O, if you like. Uh, Let's talk about something that came to me as an epiphany about the socialist Bernie Sanders. Now, I'm not going to be talking about Bernie Sanders, his specifics in terms of his likelihood of uh, getting the primary nomination and, and all that stuff. Um, that's interesting in and of itself, but that's not really timeless. 
Bernie Sanders, however, is in a sense a timeless message for us. And you'll see where I'm going with this. Bernie Sanders is a socialist. And you may ask, how can this 74-year-old white-haired white guy, atheist, socialist, gain so much traction, right? Against Hillary Clinton, who, you know, we, we supposedly all know, and, and she's got that Bill Clinton guy with her, and, you know, she was Secretary of State, and it's her time. How can this be happening? And more to the point, more to the point, nobody knows who he is, Bernie Sanders. They don't know what socialism is. They, they have the faintest clue, right? And yet... He's doing very well against her in both the national polls, the statewide polls. What the frig is going on? Is it that they love socialism? Because they don't know it's socialism. So how, how can it be? It's not about that. Can't be about that. Is it because he's just different and he's an outsider? No. Because if that were the case, then you wouldn't see the excitement that people are now throwing at him. I mean, it's really bizarre. Uh, and you have these big bands and, and, and the, the raucous, and young people love this Bernie Sanders guy. But it's not about socialism. It's not just that he's an outsider. There are many outsiders. If that were the case, say you could have uh, Ralph Nader again. Why not? Right? Or somebody like him. There are plenty of people. Why not Michael Moore? He would be, he's an outsider, and he's well-known. But no, it's Bernie Sanders. And then finally, I heard something that he said in one of his speeches, and I realized I heard him saying it over and over and over again. And then I realized that is why they are voting for him. Are you ready? He consistently says in his speeches, the system is rigged. The government is corrupt. Wall Street is corrupt. Okay? No one's paying their fair share. You're being squeezed out. The fix is in. These are the phrases that you'll hear in some form or another in every single speech he makes. That's what they're hearing. They don't know what socialism is. It has nothing to do with socialism. But he's telling them what they want to hear. You see, for, for you and me, Ari, we believe in you know, working hard. We believe in making your own bones. And if you don't make your own bones, well, then by golly, you've got to find a different path to, to succeed, right? If, you, if you're not, just take an example of sports. If you're not a good basketball player, well, then maybe you might be a good uh, tennis player. If you're not a good tennis player, then maybe you can play squash. You, who knows? But you kind of move around until you find your way. And likewise in business, if you, if, you don't, if you try one venture, it doesn't work out well, you try another venture. You just keep on going. But most people are not like that. What they really are like, they, they want to hear justification for their laziness. That's what they, they really crave. They're not doing well in their lives. And the last thing they want to see is somebody who's exactly their same age, maybe went to the same college, same background and everything else, and they see him just racing forward. That's the last thing they want. Got it? Yeah, I thought you did. And this is the way people are. 
there is a resentment going on. And it always has been this way for thousands of years. And when somebody, a candidate, regardless of his political affiliation or his political ideology, regardless of all that, tells you that the reason why you are not succeeding is because it's somebody else's fault and not your own, that is very, very appealing to a lot of people. Very. And that, my friends, is the reason why I bring this up. It's because it is emblematic, not just of Bernie Sanders. He's just a catalyst. He, he is a mirror to us. He shows how the very base nature, one of the most base parts of our human nature, which is jealousy and resentment, and to a lesser extent, envy, that that is very motivating for a lot of people. It is one of the most powerful emotions people can have, if not the most powerful. And Bernie Sanders captures it. That's why they're excited about him. And that's why he does so frigging well. It doesn't matter. He could say he's a communist. He could say he's a, a he Mooney. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He could say he's a Mooney. He could say he's a, a, you know, a Branch Davidian. He, nobody would care. He could probably do anything short of saying publicly that he's a Nazi. Right. Short of that, he would say, uh, you know, the, short of that, you're exactly right. He could do virtually anything. He, he could say, you know, uh, we, we all need to just uh, become Muslim and join ISIS for that matter. That, that would not necessarily phase them. That would phase some people, of course. But what they're hearing, you know, it, it's, it's like the, the speech, uh, you know, the Far Side cartoon, right? This famous one where there's a dog talking, a uh, master is talking to his dog, and he's talking down to him, right? And you see the first phrase, uh, first uh, frame. instructions. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the man is talking to his dog, and he says, now, Ginger, I've told you for the last time, you cannot, you know, throw your food around this. You can't, you must eat from the bowl. Don't ever do that again, please. Just, that, that is just wrong. Ginger, don't ever do that. And the next frame is what the dog hears, right? And it's blah, 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 ginger, blah, 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 ginger. <laughs> okay, that's, that's all ginger hears, okay? And, and that's, the, <laughs> that's the way it is with a lot of these, these liberal voters. They, they hear, <laughs> all they hear, blah, 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 it's not your fault. Blah, 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 corruption, blah, 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 big business sucks. That's what they hear. Blah, 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 ripped. Oh. Uh, right. Yeah. So they could, he could be saying a lot of other things, how wonderful socialism is. And so, they're not hearing that. So they selectively hear what they want to hear. And that is very powerful. And it's especially powerful for young people who have been told through the education system, which we will further discuss a little bit later in this half of the podcast, who have been told over and over again how bad America is, how the robber barons, you know, robbed people, and they still are robbing people. They're alive to this day. To this very day. You. That's right. <laughs> how it's racist, of course. How it's misogynist. How it's uh, bigoted against religion and, and all those things. It's the fix is in, my friends. You've told these very same people how much the fix is in, and that's it seeps into their DNA. And so when some Johnny come lately, some wild outsider, a nut. I mean, Bernie Sanders is a nut. He comes yeah. in and he starts saying exactly the things that you've been taught over and over again. And then you're surprised that they, they all vote for him? 
Why, why could you, how could you possibly be surprised? This makes imminent sense as to, to why he's succeeding, not just by a little bit, but by a hell of a lot. So now we're seeing that in New Hampshire, and we're going to continue seeing a lot of success by Bernie Sanders throughout the, these great states of ours at some point. He's Hillary's going to have a... gap nationally with her. That's right, Close nationally. the gap. He has to, and she's got so many more headwinds than he does. Bernie Sanders has to say you something. Mean like the uh, indictment? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie Sanders has to say something so offensive, so wildly wrong. To use your example, he has to claim an allegiance to the Nazi party, something like that. He, he would have to say, you know, Hitler should have finished what he started. Something crazy like that, then, then he would lose traction. No, okay. no, not that. You don't you know even think he, that, huh? No. You know what he needs to say? One of two things, and this would kill him. Number one, oil prices are too high for okay. a gallon of gas. That would kill him. Or, you know, I thought about it, and Exxon isn't that bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those are the only right. two things he could do. Well, he would have to he would have to essentially be, you know, undermine you know, his whole position that the government is not, right. I'm sorry, that, that the big business is not corrupt and the fix is not in. And so, yeah. yeah something I, 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 like that. He would have to undermine himself. He would have to be the, he would have to, for example, if, if um, they showed him that he was somehow investing dramatically in Wall Street, that he did take a lot of lobby money from corporate, uh, you know, corporate lobbyists and such like that, well, then, okay, th- there might be an argument there. But he, he hasn't. I mean, he, he comes out pretty clean. The most so dangerous far. thing about him is he spent a career basically as an honest politician. Yeah. But unfortunately, well, you people, know. People, that, that is something that inures to his benefit. He does seem to be somebody that uh, says what he means and means what he says, and he doesn't hide who he is. Uh, and so there you go. That must be refreshing. I mean, couple that with the fact that it blends in with everything they've ever been, ever been taught uh, from their education system, that America sucks. America, the fix is in in every respect. So they, they feel, they view Bernie Sanders, or for that matter, anybody like him, as somebody who will crush the walls that, that are the barriers that prevent them from going forward with whatever they need to do, whatever that looks like. You know, I don't know how much more free you can get this, make this country. But the only, only real freedom you and I would, would say is, hey, how about, how about reducing all those regulations? How about getting rid of the minimum wage? Uh, you know, how about, you know, killing Obamacare so that everyone has a fighting chance to have a health care? How about enforcing uh, the first ten amendments? Yeah. Especially at the second, the first, right. the third, the fourth, the fifth. Right. And, and, <laughs> you know? <laughs> how about enforcing the border? I mean, all yeah. these things would be simpler. Uh, but but that's, that's we won't have to get into that. I'm simply saying they don't even have a vision of what it looks like. They, they see Bernie Sanders as their savior. And it doesn't have to be Bernie, by the way. It just has to be anybody who's telling them that the fix is in. Right. It was Obama eight years ago. Yeah. Doing the same thing. They see that, whether it's he or Obama, like you said, and they have no idea what it looks like past that. They can never understand what it looks like past that because they've only heard what they want to hear and they're done. No one's ever asked the question, what does it look like after the, the, the great day, the great day of reckoning when all the corruption is somehow out or whatever it is, what, and they don't even define what the corruption is. It reminds me of the famous response that Michael Moore said during the Occupy Wall Street movement days, right? And, and some reporter, I think it was some Fox News guy, but maybe not, they, they went to him and they said, so 
what other system, you know, he says that the whole system is corrupt and misguided and, and you know, uh, corrupt uh, in every other respect. Rigged. Rigged, yeah. yeah. And, and the guy says, okay, well, what system would you prefer us to have then? And Michael Moore says, I don't know. We'll think of something. It was the most telling, revealing um, aspect of, of liberalism I, I had yet seen up to that point. And, and the important context for that is we'll think of something after we've destroyed everything. Right. So yeah. it's, it's not like um, we'll think of something and it'll be a transition on such and such date from this to that. Right. It's we're going to tear everything down, leaving nothing but rubble, ashes, and bodies. Right. And then we'll start th- our thinking. Right. <laughs> Right. It's like, it's like the end of uh, Finding Nemo when, when, when they all managed to escape in their, their plastic baggies, but they, they never figured out how we're going to get out of these plastic baggies once we're in the ocean. Anyway, it, and, and that's, a, that's, of course, an innocuous example. But in the liberal example, they want to destroy everything first and then wonder how to, how to rebuild. And what does that rebuilding look like? Perhaps we'll have rules of the road, so to speak. Perhaps we'll... Uh, will require some people to, to make money and will reward them to make money. And then perhaps we'll have some people that, uh, you know, if they commit crimes, they have to go to jail. Oh, it'll look something like what we already have right now. Only different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? The buildings will be maybe newer, I guess. But um, it, 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 it's, it's so stupid. It's just so stupid. They, they never think it through. All right, but that's another story. So now I want to kind of turn a little bit to the other side of the equation, which is Hillary Clinton. And, uh, and only because she's, she's the other nominee, right? And she's not doing well. A uh, candidate, you mean. A candidate, right. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, on the Democratic side. And so she's not doing well. Now, you can say, well, that's just Iowa and New Hampshire, Barack. You know, there's, there's 48 other states to go. Um, and let's wait and see. Well... The problem with it is that, and we're making predictions about this, she will continue to falter. She may very well flounder. And that's even assuming that there's no indictment against her. That's even assuming that the email problem somehow goes away. And and part of the reason why we predicted this is that we know that as a really big issue is that women are very tough on women. They don't vote for a woman just because she's a woman. That, that's, that's the reality. And you know what? I say that with great credit toward women. Great credit. Okay? And if that's the case, then uh, she's got big problems. Because she's gone in there thinking that somehow the whole woman population will, will just rally around her. And she's surprised, so, so very surprised, that it's not happening. You and I knew that that would not happen. We could see that very clearly, but but you could see it, it's like this constant like deer in the headlights look that she has. Like why aren't why aren't all the women you know, gathering around me? I, I don't get it. Where are all the women's groups? What what's happening? Because you guys did it for for Obama, you know, with a lot of the black groups and the other minority groups. Well, but you should be doing that for me now. Yeah, where's everybody? You know, where's everybody? It's almost like they all started listening to Martin Luther King and were paying only attention to the content of the character. Yeah. And weren't judging someone just by their identity politics. Yeah. God forbid. (laughs) Right? I think she's, yeah, she's very surprised all of a sudden that suddenly the people are, she's maybe actually, maybe the whole country has turned that very corner that she claims to want, which is that nobody gives a damn if you have a penis or a vagina. We're just going to judge you on you. Except, and, and, and what she wants them to do is to judge 
right. uh, judge her on her vagina. That's why. <laughs> that's, that's, that sounds harsh, guys, but I, I, and I understand that it does. But, but just because you, you have female genitalia doesn't make you a better person, doesn't have, make you more insightful uh, to dealing with Putin or, or other monsters out there. It just means nothing. What matters is you. And the way we can judge you, whether you're a man or, or a woman, is what have you done uh, in your political office or in your career or whatever? What are your positions? Because that's the only thing that will matter at the end of the day. And to some extent, I think that Obama has kind of ruined it for her because he's black um, and the black community doesn't seem to be very impressed with what he's done for the black community. I think black people kind of had very high expectations, perhaps maybe unrealistic expectations, that somehow he's going to do such incredible things for them. What that might look like, I don't know. They didn't know. They had no idea. But of course, I mean, the bar was so high. What what did they expect? Did did any minority expect that somehow now you're automatically going to be CEOs of every company out there? It turns out not so fast. It, 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 there's still 50%, uh, I, I don't know. So the, the prison population is wildly overrepresented by blacks. Uh, the fatherlessness situation is still uh, very bad in, in the black community. He can't fix that, Obama. And, he, and he, he's not going to, what he's going to do, raise the minimum wage only for blacks? What, where, what were they thinking well, they didn't that he promise, could possibly do? They didn't even pro- he didn't even promise to end Black broken families, black fatherlessness, black crime rate. What he promised is to pay their rent and give them free gas. And I know that was what they were promised because when you, when black voters were asked in the wake of Obama's inauguration, why are you celebrating? They said to people asking them, why are you celebrating? Because I don't have to pay for gas anymore because he's going to pay my rent. And when he didn't, right. there's a little bit of a letdown. <laughs> There's a lot of highfalutin expectations. There was no doubt about it, that. But I'm serious. Those were the actual promises. I know. I know. I, I heard them. It's much but, easier to just promise the, the system is rigged. I'm going to kill the banks and not follow through right. with it. Right. It's true. Well, he, he did make a lot of promises. The hopey changing thing, you know, he knew that he was going in there on a big bubble of hope, right? And promises to everyone, and it just couldn't pan out. And now I think everyone's beginning to realize he ain't the man that we thought he was going to be. And by the way, too, in his defense, there was no way that he could ever meet that standard. Nobody could meet that standard, white or black. Uh, no, no. I, Barack, I completely disagree. You know why? Because for the amount of money he spent on vacations these last eight years, oh, he see. could pay for everyone's capital <laughs> and All right. in the black community. That's very funny. All right. Uh, so, so anyway, so he's ruined it in a sense for, for Hillary Clinton. Imagine now if you're a woman or a minority and, and this person named Hillary Clinton says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do great things for you. You're going to see. And, this, and they're going to say, you know, with one eyebrow raised, they're going to say, you know, I think I've heard this somewhere before. Oh, yeah, it was about eight years ago from a man named Barack Obama. And he didn't deliver. And you're gonna you're promising the same thing now. And by no, the way, you're, no. by the way, you're tied in totally with it, with his yeah. administration as well. I don't know if I think so anymore. So there's a far more cynical electorate than ever before. Yeah, but they're not being promised the same things. This time they're being promised sanitary napkins and my doll for the rest of the. All lives. right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> The, the views of Ari Anthony. David, well, the views of Ari David, do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this podcast. Thank you. 
<laughs> we need to get some lawyers on this too. <laughs> where anyway, can we find one? Yeah, where can I possibly find one? All right, enough of this silliness. Uh, but but here, even more to the point, and this is more um, kind of a anecdotal, but it's also it's very reflective. What am I talking about? There is two uh, famous women that have come out and spoken out, and, and they need to cheerlead for for Hillary Clinton. They are Gloria Steinem and uh, Madeleine Albright. Yeah. Okay. And they both said these kind of crazy things and um, basically said that anyone who doesn't vote for her is uh, part of the old boys network, which is kind of crazy. That was Gloria Steinem. And then Madeleine Albright said there's a special place in hell for women who do not support other women. Okay. And I'm thinking to myself. What, Anita Broderick? <laughs> well, hold on. No, no. What I'm thinking to myself is. How desperate do you have to be to, to make these statements? Okay, so it turns out that you're not, the women are not flocking to Hillary Clinton. So you know what? We'll threaten them. We'll threaten them with eternal damnation, eternal damnation. in the special room. Right. It's, it's, it's worse than where Hitler is. Worse than where Stalin is or Pol Pot. There's, oh, yeah. And there's, why are you here for? I didn't support my, my fellow woman. <laughs> I didn't vote for a woman when I had <laughs> When I really chance. had the chance, I could have changed things. Do you realize she promised you free tampons in my doll? <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I was more concerned about the big banks. <laughs> Folks, I promise you that if you listen to other podcasts of the Brucklery podcast, that they are a little bit more serious than this one. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's really amazing how they have to stoop to this level to bring out what they consider to be the big guns to say, you women, you must come out and I'm going to threaten you in some way or the other to kind of make them think this way. And I think ultimately it'll backfire. That's another story. But she's discovering what you and I have known for years. Women are very tough on other women. And it's not fair. I get that. It never has been fair. It just is. Okay? It's, a, it's a fact on the ground. Okay? I, I wish they were not so tough on each other, but it is. It's a reality. And, and I don't care how uh, feminist you are about, about women, generally speaking, um, you, you have to be nodding your head saying, yeah, we're kind of tough on each other. And sometimes for, for very irrational reasons. Okay? I don't know. I don't, I, can't, I don't pretend to understand it, but that's a major headwind for her. And as, as we've said before, there will be many more women who will vote against her because she's a woman than vote for her because she's a woman. Many more. And that is completely the opposite of what happened with Obama vis-a-vis -vis the black and minority vote. Many more people voted for him because he was a minority and, and specifically black than voted against him because he was black. And, I, and most of those people who voted for him because he were black, ironically, were white, too, <laughs> well, of all things. Yeah. Oh, well, a, a lot of people yeah. voted for him. But, but that, that it, it, was, it was definitely a positive force, a, 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 not just a net positive, but a wildly positive force for him. Right. But that's what leads me to the point I want to make, which I think is profound, which is if Hillary's psychological um, movement within her campaign were was tuned into this. Right. They would know to try to go after the men's vote and say there's a special place in hell for men who don't vote for a beautiful woman. Right. It would be more effective. Yeah. The other thing is the Steinem quote. The Steinem quote was so specifically slanderous and insulting because Steinem said that women are supporting Bernie Sanders because they go to his rallies hoping to meet the man of their dreams. Right. Or meet a boy. <laughs> as if 
the, the editor of Ms. Magazine, the founder of Ms. Magazine, that has an entire ma- magazine about women trying to get men acting as if that's a bad thing for women to do. Yeah, I, I, I know. It's quite silly. But you know what she should be doing instead is to actually do the exact opposite. She should be going out of there and saying, listen, uh, I'm a woman, of course, but I don't want you to vote for me because I'm a woman. I want you to vote for me because of what I believe so strongly. I believe in uh, the X, the Y, the Z of all progressivism and liberalism. You know, that's what she should be doing. Yeah. And, and telling people not to vote for her just because she's a woman. We are better than that. They, those waskly conservatives, they may judge us because we're a woman, but you are not that way. She would galvanize a lot of people that way, I think. You know, that would be very impressive to me. But, of course, she's not going to do that because she, she, can't, she can't possibly do that. Um, you know, there's, a, there's actually one other thing I want to kind of say. Cute, say there's, a, there's a comment. Uh, I, don't, I don't know who wrote it, but um, she, there's this quote that somebody wrote, which is, Clinton's politics are the politics of identity. Narrowed down to a very specific constituency. I'm quoting here. She's selling herself as the hope of everyday rich white women who want to be president. <laughs> right? That a huge swath of people. <laughs> See, that's the whole point. Is that she she thinks that she resonates on the on the woman issue, but she but it's like I'm gonna be talking about this on my podcast. You mean it's just, radio show. I, yeah, I'm sorry, my radio show. She, she doesn't realize that it doesn't mean very much to most young women. It may mean a lot to Gloria Steinem. I get that because they see things only in their, in their world. But to some extent, the Gloria Steinems of the world are like that guy, uh, you know, the Japanese soldier in the Philippines Island, right, who, who, who thinks the war is still going on, right? It's done, baby. Surrender. Just, just come home. Stop right. fighting. Stop fighting. Okay, just, just stop. And Gloria Steinem is, the, is like that Japanese soldier who, who stayed in the jungle for 30 friggin' years. I mean, just amazing. You know, it, it's, just about the, it's just about that right amount of time. It's about 40 years. The, the women's movement, whatever it is, you know, people characterize it a certain way. And it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's one of those, those uh, Rorschach, Rorschach. Rorschach tests where you kind of see what you see. Or when you look at the clouds, you see what you want to see. Um, and it, it means so many things to so many different people. But the truth is that it was really kind of a farce in many ways. We can all agree that every woman who wants to be an astronaut should be able to take the test and be an astronaut. But I, I think that nobody really buys anymore that people are being, uh, that, that employers or men employers in particular are somehow making sure not to hire women at the old boys network. And nobody believes that crap anymore. It's, I think that's been done for 40 years. Honestly, not even five years. I'm talking about 40 years from 1975 and on, and if not before. I just, I just don't buy it. I never bought it at all. Because capitalism basically says whoever's the best for the job, that's who you take. I, and, I, and I know this from my own perspective. I'm an employer. I must have employed, I don't know, and interviewed probably about 200 people in my 12 years uh, starting this firm and otherwise interview a lot of people for other firms in the old days. And all I care about is, are you good? I don't care whether you're an Eskimo, whether you're black, whether you're an Indian, whether you're Muslim for that matter. I don't care. I, are you the best at what you can be? And can I talk to you? You know, can, you know, can we get along? And can I afford you? Yeah, that, and can I afford it. you? That's yeah. exactly right. And when they talk about the pay gap 
and all that stuff with, with you know, women are making it, whatever, let's use their, I think it's roughly 70 cents on every dollar that a man makes. I think to myself, wow, that's great. I'll hire only the woman then because what a deal, right? And that, that's, it's, it's insane. It's stupid. That's like saying, you know, I, I want to buy this, uh, choose your favorite car, uh, you know, Lexus, the exact same Lexus, right? Same brand and everything else. But I want to pay 20000 more for it because, you know, Bob is going to sell it to me instead of Jane selling it to me. Okay? That's stupid, right? No one would do that. But yet they, they would have you believe that this is rampant throughout the country. Anyway, it's, it's nonsense. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but, but, but I, want to, I want to kind of focus on the issue of it, of it being an issue at all. And this is why she doesn't realize it. She, she talks about the woman issue as if anybody gives a crap anymore. They don't. They just don't. And you know who really doesn't care anymore? Young women. They don't feel it. They don't know what you're talking about anymore. It's, it's not relevant to their lives. It doesn't move them one way or the other. Uh, you know, no one in her 30s today is saying, boy, I could really use a break. If only uh, we had a woman in the office, uh, you know, all these barriers that prevent me from being the CEO that I choose to be or that I want to be, uh, you know, would somehow open up for me. It, they, they don't think this way. So she's pursuing a message that no one's listening to, right? By contrast, Bernie is saying a message that, that everyone is listening, listening to. to. It's not a good message. It's a, it's a message of negativism and defeatism, but it still resonates for them. And that's why he's winning. And, it's, and the reason it's, it, it resonates is because they can at least understand it. Yeah. They at least, and the irony of this, right? I, I think there's two points that are just the party of irony uh, right. atmosphere here. Mm-hmm. Bernie is railing about how corrupt the system is and how horrible everything is after eight years of Obama and an aggregate 10 years after Pelosi and Reid took over the Congress. So who's been running the ship into the iceberg? Yeah. It's, right? Yeah. The irony. Yeah. Well, this this will come out, of course, during the, uh, the, the, the general election, if she's the nominee somehow. And I say somehow because it's becoming more and more uh, apparent that she's going to have to have at least a very serious fight against Bernie Sanders. The message is really clear. Bernie is galvanizing people because of his message. It resonates. Her message, to the extent there is a message, and I I still don't know what it is. There is none. The only thing that's clear is that she's a woman. So we're left with the notion, well, you want us to vote for you because you're a woman. Okay, got it. Why is that relevant to me? Uh, Even as a woman, as a woman voter, why? Because Bernie Sanders will take care of me. He, He doesn't care whether I'm a woman or not. He just cares that I'm being suppressed. Um, so that's and that's a big challenge. Anyway, uh, when we get back, we will be talking uh, a little bit about uh, some strange behavior that's going on in the schools, uh, particularly in the sex education field. And it's a little bit salacious. You may want uh, if you mean a little bit. <laughs> if you you may want your kids to uh, cover their ears uh, for the next uh, five minutes when we come back. But it's, uh, it's, it's pretty disturbing, but it's also very representative of what's happening and the decay in our schools and what we can do about it. This is Brock Lurie. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a client who had opened up a food operation in a shopping center, but the landlord had misrepresented the amount of foot traffic that your client would get. Yeah, Dennis, and very quickly my client felt the impact, losing a tremendous amount of money each month. He had invested $250,000 in improvements into the business. All right, how did you resolve that one? It turns out that the shopping center was about to be sold, so we waited for just the right moment before the sale because we knew the landlord would not want to have to disclose this major lawsuit. Suddenly, he's settled for a lot of money. Sometimes you have to know how to time your luck. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. podcast. Okay, so we promised we'd be talking about this very strange development in the education system where they've decided to teach sex education to fifth and sixth graders. Uh, now, what's the problem with that? After all, a lot of us learned about sex education during that same time period, right? But what did you learn when you were in fifth and sixth grade? I can tell you what I learned. I learned <clears throat> about the male and female reproductive systems in, uh, you know, in kind of drawing format. Um, I learned about, uh, the, you know, sperm and the egg, and, and these are the, the changes that your body goes through um, in, in the process of, uh, of puberty. <clears throat> and I learned that, uh, you know, uh, the different hormones are involved and things like that. Okay. And I, and I think that's about it. We may have learned about the word erection, we may have learned about, I think that's about it, really. We didn't even learn the, about the word orgasm, for that matter. We just simply learned that this is the way it works, and thank you very much, and you will have feelings to this effect, and uh, please act responsibly, all right? Um, and, and, and that would be nice, you know, if, if they, they did something similar to that. I, I felt it was a good education. Uh, I didn't think it was overwrought or somehow bizarre or scandalous. Did they separate your group, the boys from the girls? Yes, good point, yes, that they did. And so the boys learned, uh, you know, things separately from the girls, and that was great. Um, <clears throat> and then they both came back, and they say, ooh, that was gross, or something like that, but nevertheless. Yeah, and then they brought know. everyone back together, and there was some teacher who said, now, with what you learned, don't do it. <laughs> right, exactly right? right. Don't do it, exactly right. Just like the Simpson episode says, right? yes, yes. <laughs> now that you've learned how to do it, don't do it. <laughs> anyway, uh, but okay, so, but over the years and the decades since my fifth grade experience, uh, the sex education has apparently taken a turn. It's evolved. Who knew? It's evolved, yes. It's evolved. <clears throat> apparently, what I just described is just not good enough. In okay. fact, what you just described is probably not part of any sex ed curriculum in the modern age at all. No, no, no. There's much more to learn, right. as it turns out. Who knew? Apparently, um, sex is just being discovered by this generation. Oh, that's right. Every generation thinks it's the first to discover sex, right? But they think that they're, they're really just discovering it. 
And so there's this uh, report now of a fifth grade teacher, a female teacher, who's decided because, uh, I guess, for whatever reason, she thought it was important to teach the, the fifth graders uh, about dildos. <clears throat> and she straps on a dildo, um, obviously while she's still fully clothed, but nevertheless, as if that's hard to figure out. And, and then you could just see in the pictures, because some, some student actually took, took some snapshot pictures, not a video, but some snapshot pictures. You could just see her delight in the experience. Like somehow, At least she loves her work. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. She couldn't wait to get to this part of the, the sex education. And so she's, she puts it on. And she seems to enjoy this. And, and I'm thinking to myself, what is she teaching? What, what exactly, what words are, is she actually saying to these children? Like, you, you have to teach this before they even learn, the reg, you know, just regular intercourse and, and the feelings and the hormones and all that stuff. This is, and then you, you go right away to teaching about dildos. And then, you know, a lot of them are teaching about anal sex as well, homosexual sex. Um, well, that's what the strap-on <clears throat> dildo is for. I, I, we should specify. It's one I, thing if she was teaching about dildos, but she was teaching about strap-on dildos. Which yes, are, I know. You, which yeah. is a whole branch of... I know. <laughs> There's just no place for it. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you, you, just, just teach the basics, right? I mean, they seem to understand when you teach math, for example, <clears throat> you don't start them off with calculus, right? <laughs> you start off with 2 plus 2 and the small numbers, you add them up, and you get the kids comfortable with that. And then you learn uh, you know, subtraction. And then after a year or two, you learn multiplication. And then maybe a year after that, you learn division. And then maybe a year or two after that, you learn algebra. And so on and so on. But no, when you learn sex education, you go right to the hardcore stuff. Uh, and, and anything goes. And they teach about homosexual sex, and they talk about how it, it's... There's no difference between whether your, your fantasy uh, or your desires go to a, a woman, you know, the opposite sex or the same sex. And, and they're mainstreaming it so quickly, like right away, before they even talk about what sex is. I remember a very liberal friend of mine was talking to me about how, and it's the same one that I often talk about it, but, you know, he said, well, why don't you tell your kids about, you know, gay sex? And I said, because they're seven years old, okay? <laughs> what? Jeez, Louise. <laughs> That's why I'm not going to teach them about gay sex. So absurd. Like, look, they can be talking about gay sex and such like that, but please don't say it's the same thing right off the gate, okay? It's just not, it's just not the same thing. It's not like a blue car. You can have a blue car and you can have a red car or a green car. It's not the same thing. Also, isn't it interesting, <clears throat> based on that person's suggestion? Yeah. We are constantly told, well, it's love that we care about. Love is everything. Right. So if you were getting to even the area, the cloud of homosexuality as a subject with your kids, wouldn't it start with something along the lines of, you know how some men love women and some women love men? Well, there are some people out there who feel the same way about someone like them. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. If you don't even get into the plumbing and the... <clears throat> Connect the puzzle pieces. Right, it's just about love. Right, right. that would that would make more sense. Not good as as something to do, but at least make more sense. It would, and you could say it's a very small portion compared to. It's not as if, you know, because you got to give numbers. Right, you know, you, right. you can't just say, well, most people. The, the proper way is to say most people. A man likes a woman. A woman likes a man, and that's ninety-seven percent of the population, depending on who you talk to. 
Yeah, but sometimes you'll see this, and but, you would couch it in this way. And when you see these people, it's important we don't make fun of them. That's or something right. Like exactly that. right. The whole love and tolerance, and not in the, into the plumbing. Yeah. And the, uh, the other thing is, so and they get right into the plumbing. That's that's right. what we're demurring to, folks. Yes. It's like, look, it's one thing if you want us to to say, look, you know, live and let live, and gay marriage, and all that stuff, and, and you want to hold hands in public. Well, that's another discussion, I suppose. But nevertheless, you, you know, you want to be accepted, fine. Um, and there's there's more than a couple kids in our school who have two mommies or two daddies. Got it. You want us to accept that. But then you want to also tell us that we have to teach homosexual sex in the same level, with the same breadth, with the same intensity, the same equal time as heterosexual sex. And I think that's that's wrong. Something's wrong with that. Okay, and, and, and you have to ask yourself, why are you so, are you so keyed up about this? Now, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, some of whom are gay, will, will say, what are you talking about? I don't feel that way. I don't feel like I, I need to force down, uh, you know, uh, homosexual sex down the, in, the, in the education department for the kids, and I'm not one of those people. Okay, great. But I think there are a lot of people who just have this need to just ram this down your throat. And it's like the, the California school teachers who, who insist, insist that there be a full chapter dedicated just to talking about famous gay people in history. Okay, that, that's mandated by law now in California, I think as of uh, a year or two ago. So if, you're, if your kids are going to public school, they have to learn about famous gay personalities in history. Right. Yeah, it's not just <clears throat> Oscar Wilde author. Right. It's Oscar Wilde gay author. Gay author, exactly. And the right. gayness is more important than his authorship. Right. And putting aside the fact, like, well, why not uh, great Korean uh, Americans in history? Why not great black? You know, we don't have a chapter devoted just to African American uh, personalities in, in American history. We don't have it for Jews. We don't have it for Eskimos. Why gays? Why is it so important? So. What, what, and I, and I tell you, and, I've, and we've talked about this before, that every major social change that we've seen in the past 20 years seems to focus around sex. Okay, so it's, you know, we, we talked about this before. There's, there's a tremendous amount of uh, new issues that have nothing to do with sex that are on the forefront. But because the gay marriage thing has to do with sex... Uh, then by all means, let's let's talk about it. And it and suddenly becomes a Supreme Court decision. And then we talk about <clears throat> polygamy and all these issues that have... Uh, but why? Why not all the other issues that are out there? Anyway, we can go on and on about this. Yeah, and also, and I think it's it's worth discussion or at least thinking about it. Isn't it interesting that the types of sexual behavior that they're now teaching as the forefront curriculum of sex education make it so that the lessons on the sperm and the egg become completely obviated. Because yeah. why do you have to talk about sperm, egg, baby, reproduction, if the subject matter is a strap-on dildo being used by any gender into anyone else's gender right. rear portal? Because you know, now there's no exchange of semen that has sperm going towards an egg. Right. There's no purpose to it. Um, and there's no From biological, biological purpose. purpose. Yeah. Yes. Uh, then, now, then it's all about the pleasures instead of the the functionality of it. 
And they really, when I was in fifth grade, I remember they talked about it, and they didn't really talk too much about the pleasure aspect of it. Not at all. They talked about the functionality aspect of it, and, and which I kind of liked. And they said, you know, the, the man gets excited, and everyone kind of laughed about that, you know, he, 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 right? And they talked about the erection, and that causes, you know, the excitement causes the erection. And something similar happens in a woman, and boom, you, you, you have uh, fertilization of, of an egg. And then the baby comes nine months after. Okay. But, but now it's only about the pleasure and all the things that you can do. And as you said, that they described uh, the, the sphincter now as a sexual organ uh, on the same par as a vagina or a penis. And uh, naturally, the mouth is involved as well. And, um, and then all sorts of different partners. And, um, and they, they don't talk very much about STDs, although they should. So, And the only way... Where, the point is, where are we going with this? And... Is it okay with you as a parent? I'm, for some parents, they're, they're totally okay with this. But I'm not okay with this. I, I, I want to learn. I want my kids to learn in a step-like fashion. They'll figure out what gay sex means eventually. They, they don't, and, and don't worry, folks. The fact that they learn it in the schools, that's not such a bad... I mean, learn it in, in the hallways of the schools as opposed to in the classrooms by the teachers. Who cares? Okay, they, they'll learn it. In their own way, they'll figure it out. Well, they'll learn it on television, like you and I did. Yeah, you know, yeah. watching uh, Love Boat, Fantasy Island, or it, whatever. It, you know? it happens. It's part of uh, society. They don't, it doesn't need to be normalized to the point of actually encouraging them to do it. That's that's where I really demur. Okay, let's. I, I think we've exhausted this subject because it's something that is happening uh, quite a bit, and we need to be vigilant about it. If you're a parent. Make sure that your kid um, is learning in a proper way when it comes to sex education. Take some control there because there's nothing that robs the innocence of a child as teaching of sex. At too early of an age. At too early of an age. And and even then, it has to be age appropriate. And you just, you can't go too far. You've got to really take it one step at a time, no differently than... Uh, how wrong it would be to, to, to have a kid learn Hamlet in, in second grade. Okay, it just it doesn't work. Yeah, it's not like they're going <clears> to <throat> understand it anyway. And, and to that point, you and I are adults. We've both passed that age of innocence. I have to tell you, when I saw that article and I pictured myself watching that curriculum as a 45-year-old, right. I felt my innocence stripped away. Whatever it's <laughs> left. It's, it, this particular act of, of, of material was so wrong, it strips away the, the innocence of adults. Yeah. It's so disgusting. Yeah, it's just, I mean, do we want that kind of world where, look, listen, I, I like that the fact that, you know, look, live and let live, and if there's, there are there are sex toy shops uh, out there. I don't know what they call erotic shops. I guess they call them. And there's porn out there. I get that. <clears throat> and I understand there's a bunch of stuff that that is going on there. That it's just I don't even understand it. Uh, it doesn't appeal to me. But it might it might appeal to other people. But you know what? Let's not mainstream it. Let's not make it like the the ordinary. I, I in fact part of the the joy of sex uh, is the fact that it's kind of like you know what. It's not in our faces all the time. It's your little secret with your, with, your, with your wife. Yeah, it's private. It's private. Exactly right. And what you do with your own spouse, great. Have fun. You go as kinky as you like. You can do whatever, whatever floats your boat. But just to take it to the extreme, just imagine if, like, the expectation is now everyone can just do it on the streets, you know, find yourself a, a pillow and, and just, you know, hump away. What kind of person uses a pillow? 
<laughs> but but if you if you just if if you just kind of do all these, you know, this, this action, well, then it kind of takes away from the private area, and then it's no longer uh, the, the intimate thing that that kind of makes sex all the more pleasant and, and special such, and special yeah. and, and worthwhile to look forward to and such. And, and if if you just make it an everyday thing that is as meaningful as uh, yeah, having potato chip. I just had some potato chips. You know, well then, then, then what's the point? And and that's what they're that's what they're doing in the schools these days. All right. So let let's be careful about that. All right. I want to move on to uh, it, sadly into another area, and it does involve sex as well. And uh, but this is much more gruesome. This is a story that came out of uh, Germany, a story of a mother who came from herself from Slovenia. She was a, a migrant. A refugee from the war in Yugoslavia. Right, Yugoslavia, yeah. yeah. And she, she was welcomed in Germany, and so she really appreciates what Germany did for her. She has a 10-year-old boy. And I guess that she's single, and she has this 10-year-old boy. And she taught the boy that we must be very embracing of the Syrian migrants who are now kind of flooding into Germany because, after all, she herself was once a migrant, and we need to appreciate them in the same way that we were once strangers to this land. They are now the strangers, and we must be open to them, too. Their German is perfect and everything else. They, they consider themselves German. So sadly, the boy uh, was in a public swimming pool in, uh, I believe it was somewhere in Germany, or maybe, no, I'm sorry, it was in Vienna, in Austria. And uh, one of these Syrian migrants managed to rape this boy, so viciously, by the way, that he ended up in the hospital uh, for a long, long time. <clears throat> the mother, now rethinking her position. How sad it is that you have to be a victim before you can appreciate how wrong it is, right? It's only when something bad happens to you that you suddenly are for the death penalty, that you are suddenly for um, allowing people to have guns, that you are suddenly for um, uh, banning uh, migrants from just wholesale coming into the country. Or long prison terms for criminals. Yeah, exactly. And it's the ultimate in non-empathy. And this is what I want to talk about because this story is a double story. First of all, it shows the what's really happening in Europe and such. And, uh, but and how gruesome how, really it's, it's really gruesome. really is. Yeah. And, and we, we talked about this before, like to what extent, what, what price are you willing to pay? Because you know that when you're talking about a million migrants coming into Germany or, or Europe for that matter, that there's going to be shall we say, one more rape or two. It's not going to be zero. It's going to be one or more. And the question is, how much? And and is that acceptable to you as a country? Yeah, we constantly talk in America, if only one innocent person is put to death by the death penalty, that's one too many. That's right. unacceptable. Right. If one child goes hungry, that's one too many to yes. be accepted. Exactly. You, you know. Yeah, that's, that's the mantra. Right. That, that's the way they play it up. And but, but apparently it's okay to have so many 
you know, that's, that's the price you pay because uh, for compassion to allow these very and, and nice people to go ahead and rape your, your citizenry. Yeah, but a thousand rapes of adult women in Cologne on New Year's Eve, a thousand in one night, in one place. It was sexual that, assault. It wasn't rape-rape. Well, but, but many were rape-rapes. I, 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 I know. Mean, so, but, I mean, just, but, just for clarity. But I, I, I think the important, thank you for the clarification, but the sort of salient point is it was a thousand right in one place right. one night yeah no and it was yeah. horrific for any woman who yeah. was uh, who was touched inappropriately right. and it's one thing when it happens to an adult and one thing when it's a male attacking a female there's something completely uh, with apologies to people who promote gay sexual activity right is this isn't gay sexual activity that's consensual at all it's something completely unnatural for an adult post-pubescent man to rape a male child. Right. It's it's uh, it's it, it it just breaks your heart. It's um, and this child now, uh, according to the report, says he, you know, and understandably he cries himself to sleep. He's a broken kid, um, and he will be forever affected uh, the rest of his life. And now there's a risk that he himself will become a pedophile because there's some some uh, connection to that. I. It teaches kids at that age to have a sexual experience that. The, because there are pleasurable aspects of it. Let's not even go. I, I don't want to get to that. My point is, people get imprinted upon them that this is what sex is, and then they go through life later on with. That no, what clue. happens is no, it's not. It's not pleasant. Uh, what happens to these people, these kids, is that it is so devastating and so humiliating to them, and they don't understand what's going on. That in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, and unfortunately, a, a significant amount of them. Uh, they, they, they feel the need to get over it, uh, to, to conquer it, and they conquer it by they themselves doing it to others. That's the psychological by going craziness. going back to that place. Yeah, and, it's, it's yeah. weird. But let's, I don't want to go there. That, that's not my point. My, my point is about how people take – this is the second part of the, the, uh, the discussion, which is how people fail to uh, understand how horrific something can be uh, until – the moment that they themselves are victims to it. And I'll never forget a, a conversation that a woman called in to uh, one of the talk shows, the, the radio shows that I listened to. And I think it was to Dennis Prager, actually. And she was saying, it was one of his open discussion, open issue hours. And she was saying how she had been against the death penalty tooth and nail until the day that her brother was murdered. And now she's totally for it. And she expected, you could tell in her voice, you know, that Dennis was going to be, all right, now you understand, and that's good. And what did he say? He said exactly what I want him to say, which is, shame on you. And she said, but, but, but what do you mean? I, I'm for the death penalty. No, shame on you. You had to wait until somebody killed your brother uh, to suddenly see the light and to understand this. Not once before your brother was killed, and I'm so sorry to hear about your brother being killed, but not once before he was killed did you did you enter your mind that other brothers and sisters and daughters and sons and husbands and wives were being killed, murdered. They didn't count. It only matters when somebody close to you is a victim. That's when it counts. And that's why I say shame on you. Because it shows a total lack of empathy, and the whole reason why we have the death penalty, it's not just because when you're the victim, or somebody close to you is the victim, you need to, to understand that 
the, the, the other brother, the, the faceless brother that you've never met before, that his sister is just as entitled to be uh, for the death penalty as you are now. Yeah, and the reason for the death penalty is to protect other people from suffering the fate that that murderer did to them. Right. The, I think Dennis is famous for saying, and I, I so agree with him on this, that the only way to guarantee a murderer doesn't murder again is to kill them. Right. And how dare you not care about other people whose murder yeah. murder action could yeah, that's be another aspect. to others. Yeah, that's another aspect. But, but, I, but it's such a good point. Yeah. How did you not care about them until you had your little loss? Right. Well, and, and this is the message of this part of this half of the podcast, which is people are, are really – conservatism – what I, what I love so much about it is that it does think things through. That's my favorite part of it. If, if you can say one thing about conservatism, it thinks about the consequences of policy, and, and therefore it's meaningful to me. I also think it's the most compassionate and the most understanding. It's most empathetic in particular because the laws that we make are based upon understanding that we don't have to be personally the victim of it in order to advance that policy. That's why I'm for guns. I'm not. I'm against gun control. That's why I am. Uh, I'm against abortion. That's why I am uh, for the death penalty, and and all the other things. That's why I'm. I'm. I'm against the minimum wage, because I can afford the minimum wage. Me, Barack Lurie, in my law firm, we can afford it. I, I pay more higher than the minimum wage here. Okay, so it's fine. That's the nature of my business. Is such that the people who work for me. Uh, end up sub- making substantially more than the minimum wage, okay? even twice the minimum wage. But that's what the going rate is and such like that. But for, for me to, to, to decide that somebody else has to pay a much higher amount than the, than the present minimum wage, that's offensive. I, I, I mean, I could very well be that car wash owner. I could very well be that mom and pop store, store owner. Who am I to tell them that they have to pay what I, I can pay here, my law firm, right? It's totally unempathetic. That's the whole point. And this woman, and, and I, my, my heart goes out to her, the, the suffering that she must experience, and, and especially for her boy, it is just, it's gut-wrenching. I, I, as a parent, it's the worst thing you can think of, right? I mean, it's, I think it's almost worse than death that somebody does such a thing to your boy. It's such an impressionable and important age. And, and to, to wait for that moment to understand that a certain policy is wrong is only to guarantee that horrific policies like that will continue. You and I, Ari, when, when Angela Merkel first announced the policy of opening up the borders to 800,000, which ended up being a million, uh, Syrian migrants... Or refugees, as they like to call them. When we first heard that, the first thing we thought about, because it was, it was like within two weeks, I think even one week, that she announced that she's going to do this. On behalf of all Germany, thank you very much. Okay? Yeah, there like was a dictator. Just yeah, there was, no, there was no discussion. By decree. So one woman decides this for the, for the sake of the nation, never mind the complete change in the character in the country itself, and for that matter, 
the complete reversal of the nature of, of small little towns in Germany, which were overwhelmed by these Syrian migrants. Yeah, it's not like these, these people are all going to Berlin and Bonn and Frankfurt and going to populate the seedier parts of those major yeah. cities that all have a seedier part. These are tiny little towns that are now, that have 200, 300 people and have for right. centuries, and now have 500 new people, majority Right. All of, all of a sudden, Check their things. town that, that was just a simple little German town is now, now they're the minority in the town, thanks to Angela Merkel. And I'm bringing this up because we, we, we thought, like, did you, did anyone discuss this? Was there any, I mean, we have, every time they, they, they want to build a, a slight improvement in a building here. In, this, in Santa Monica or, or Los Angeles, you have to have an environmental impact report. How is this going to affect the traffic? Right? I mean, everything is discussed. It lasts for years sometimes before you can get a zoning ordinance change, for example. If you want to build a, a second, a second floor to your, to your little store. That takes, it can take years. Yeah, God forbid you want to dig a swimming pool in your backyard right. or something. But when it comes to, yeah, exactly. But when it comes to bringing in a million people from a country that is extremely hostile, with, from a, uh, which has very bizarre beliefs and very hostile beliefs, just open the door. No problem. We don't have to think about this. And that the failure to think about consequences, the failure, failure to understand the amount of, to just ask the question, will there be more crime associated with this? I mean, rape being just one of them. Yeah, I'm the, talking about theft. I'm talking about murder. I'm talking about beheadings. I'm talking about, you know, uh, extortion. Or just uh, the day-in, day-out intimidation <clears throat> and rudeness. We're now seeing all the videos of that's ruining people's day-in, day-out lives. How are Christians going to go to church now when they're, they're humiliated and have things thrown at them and yeah. they're taunted on the street? How are women going to dress or feel safe to go out to work or a nightclub when men are whistling at them and catcalling right. them? and these are the consequences that we can think of. That's right. Okay? We, we didn't even think of, for example, the, the thousand women that were sexually assaulted on New Year's Eve in Cologne, Germany. Right? It just wouldn't have entered our mind. Right? You and I thought about, like, well, you know, it would be horrible, but from time to time, a woman, an innocent woman, would be victimized and, and raped. Or a church would turn to a mosque here and there. Yeah, those mean, kind of things. Whatever, yeah. but but it's it's far more create horrifically creative, as we said before. Good episode for you. Thank no you very much. Thank people. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Horrific uh, creativity. So, it's far more so than than that, and they just never bother to ask, what are what are the chances of crime coming here, and and that is what, that's a, that's what frustrates me. And I, and I fear that every time that we take a position, like this woman did, like that woman who called into Dennis Prager's uh, radio show, when they take a position because it just feels good, we should never have the death penalty. We should, we should never uh, uh, you know, uh, tr turn away a migrant. We should open up the borders, all sounding very lovely. We should never allow for guns. But then... Horrible things happen. And their inability to see themselves as a potential victim, that they have to, they can only accept it if and when they themselves become victims, that that's the only time they'll learn. Shame on them. Right? And, and, and thank goodness, you know, I'm not a conservative because uh, I've been victimized in any extent like that. I haven't been broken into my family. I haven't suffered some sort of sexual assault. I, a close family member was not murdered, right? None of those things happened to me. But I'm a conservative because 
I know that these things can happen to other people. And I, I belong to a society, and I want that society to be a society of laws and a society that works and, that, and a society that grows. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. I'll be with you real soon.